Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas week. And whenever possible, we'd like to put out a very special episode for Christmas time. And this week, we've nailed it. Our guest this week is Lee Nash, lead singer of Sixpence None the Richer. I think everyone remembers very well in the late 90s when their third album hit big because of this song right here, Kiss Me, which has never gone away and hopefully it never does because it's just as wonderful a song today as it was back then. So the band, though, has sort of worked sporadically ever since. Uh, They do things when they want to and then they go off and do other things. It's largely Lee, who has had a solo career as well, and Matt Slocum, the guitarist and main songwriter in the band. So Lee has done a lot of other solo things. And in fact, earlier this year, she put out a new EP called Get Happy. We talk about that in here as well. In fact, I should say, Lee and I actually originally spoke, I think back in April, and I went to get it ready to put out and the file was corrupted, file was messed up. So bless her heart, she agreed to come back on and talk to me again and we managed to do it again this time and it came out right. So we talk about the new EP, we talk about the story behind a lot of her songs, we talk about what it was like sort of being labeled a Christian band or a Christian rock band or Christian artist. They bristle at that a little bit. The beauty that I think, and this is why I think Lee is the perfect guest for Christmas, is because Lee wears her Christianity proudly, but never piously. And that, to me, is the best kind of spirituality that you could ever share with other people. If you are devout and you are faithful, and that comes through in your demeanor and in your example, that's when it's the best. When you're preaching and you're lecturing, that's when it's not. And that is not Lee's style. And so I really love this conversation because we talk about those spiritual issues, but we also talk about how it relates to the music and what it was like putting it out and how it has affected her life. She is such a wonderful lady. And I think we all sort of fell in love with her and her voice back in the day. Well, it's still here and it's still great. Uh, also, I should say, we kick off this conversation with a, co- with a discussion about their the album they put out after the Kiss Me album, self-titled, called Divine Discontent, which was in the early 2000s. That's like one of my favorite albums ever. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I love her. And a huge thanks to our listener, David Gutierrez, for encouraging me to get her on. And another huge thanks to Ben Montgomery of Records Revisited for helping put me in contact. She was on their podcast earlier this year, too. Check that out, too. It's great. Okay? She called me from her home in Nashville. First and foremost, and I told you this story last time, but I'm going to do it again because I love it. I'm going to tell you when I became a fan of yours and of Sixpence None the Richer. So in the early 2000s, I work in uh, regional marketing and advertising with Tower Records. And I think we're coming up on Christmas time. It's probably October, November. And... uh, Warner Brothers takes everybody out for a big lunch and uh, said, you know, this is our, these are all the things we have coming up this quarter that we're pushing. And I remember there being a table of uh, promo CDs there and there was uh, the Donna's had a new CD coming out and you guys had divine discontent. And I liked kiss me a lot, but I didn't, um, I hadn't bought it or thought, you know, it wasn't motivating action at that point. Right. But of course, I took the freebie because it's free. And I'm thinking, well, sure, I'll listen to Sixpence None the Richer. This should be nice. Of course. <laughs> and <laughs> I, Divine Discontent is a perfect album. I love uh, that album. 
Thank and, you uh, so much. Yes. And so I want to know, first of all, how you got Rob Cavallo to produce this when he's largely the Green Day and Goo Goo Dolls and L7 guy. And uh, what was, you know, what was it about that album that made you make that leap in your sound and in your vibe and everything? Well, um, well, Rob Cavallo only produced um, the song Don't Dream It's Over. There is freedom within, there is freedom without. Try to catch the deluge in a paper cup. There's a battle ahead, many battles are lost, but you never reach the end of the road while you're traveling with me. addition uh to divine discontent um that was sort of the thing that got that got warner brothers to roll the record on down the hill like okay we'll put it out because we got rob cavallo to do this you know and it's another you know attempt at like a there she goes moment Mm -hmm. which which we we pretty much got Mm -hmm. but yeah rob rob was awesome we had fun it was it was great to get to work with him paul fox produced okay discontent if i if i yeah if i remember yes correctly okay but uh but yeah it was it was wonderful those were such great times and we were so proud of that album we had our own little private listening party with our manager and (laughs) some of our label people and i remember some of us had tears in our eyes we were so moved just you know not by our own work but by just the the hard work that went into it and certainly some of the more emotional moments on the record. Mm-hmm. Was it, uh, first of all, I should say, Waiting on the Sun is my favorite song on that one.
That might be my favorite Six Men song overall. I love it. Who's, I mean, it is a beefier, kind of meatier sound comparatively, you know? Obviously, in those first few Sixpence albums, there's a an obvious and a honorable uh, connection to bands like The Sundays and uh, Credit House and things like that. But, um, you know, all of a sudden, Divine Discontent has, just sounds fuller and a little right. more, I don't know, more is going on there, a little more muscle. Was that an intentional decision from everyone in the band? Like, let's let's beef this up a little bit? I really honestly think that it was a, a, a maturity thing. Yeah. You know, we we knew where we'd been. And, and at that time, the band had already been together since like 93, uh, 92. And so... Yeah, I mean, we—that's a—that's a lot of years to grow and mature as a band, and and we had a lot of um, records that we um, had made in the interim, and so yeah, by that time, I think we were just ready for a more mature, um, and as you put it, beefy sound, and just you know, topically, we were growing as humans, and not only as musicians, but humans, vocalists, players, the whole nine yards, and um, had been certainly influenced by other bands along the way, so I'm sure all of that played a, you know, played a part in the Mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. Was it, uh, was, how did you feel like it was uh, received? I know Breathe Your Name got some airplay, with that record and yeah breathe your name i think we got to play that on uh probably jay leno so yeah that got some attention and yeah so i feel like it was generally well received and you know pretty soon after i mean we toured that record for a while and then i had my first child my first and only child who just became a driver like three days ago oh my Um, gosh (laughs) it's insane i know it's crazy so after that, you know, between like that time and now, like, I don't know, just everything just drastically, drastically changed. And my life became mm. about raising this kid and just trying to keep food on the table <laughs> Yeah. and yeah. as being a musician, you know? And um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that, and, and, you know, Sixpence put out 
uh, Lost in Transition in between and uh, all that, and, and that was great as well. I am alone, so loneliness follows me night and day. A friend that I can push away. What you told me and what is the truth? Well, they break my heart, but they are still miles apart. the other guys would say but it was definitely i think that's probably my my favorite of our records yeah me too um so let me ask you this i mean what was why did it take five years to come up with a follow-up to the self-titled i mean that came out in 97 of course kiss me doesn't really hit until 99 was it just such a flurry of activity once that really took off that there was no time to settle down and make the follow-up I can't believe, I mean, I, yeah, hearing that back, I can't believe it took five years, but yeah, yeah, I think it was a lot of things. I think it was a major adjustment in uh, lifestyle, like for, you know, a lot of things were happening. Matt moved out to the West coast for a while. So Mm. I was separated, um, you know, physically from him, Mm. you know, he was sort of you know, having this whole other life in California and, mm-hmm. and being inspired by new things. And I was in Nashville, just sort of like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. what are we doing? Cause all this mm-hmm. stuff had just happened. And, yeah. you know, you know, on the, the heels of like huge success. And then, uh, yeah, I think just lots of touring and just adjusting. And then, yeah, I suppose that that's our excuse. And then I think there was, there was uh, some, you know, as always with Sixpence and, and many bands like label upheaval and, you know, writing and and getting stuff produced and, and things we're really proud of. And then the label's like, hey, I'm not really sure about this. Uh, let's keep keep trying and lots of frustration there. But we finally, you know, finally got it together and I think made a made a, a great record. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Is there dysfunction, I guess, sometimes in Sixpence? Because you guys kind of come together, uh, reunite, maybe do an album, maybe do some shows, then separate again. Then you go back and do your solo career, which I want to talk more about that because I love that too. But is there, mm-hmm. like, what's at, the, what's at the heart of the coming and going? Why not make it more of a stable, you know, thing that never really ends? I mean, I I have to say, I mean, I, of course, everybody probably have their own answer, but I feel like if it was up to me, you know, we'd put out a record every two and a half years. Like, yeah. you know, we should have, we yeah. should have been doing that all this time. But then again, I am a creative force in the band, but I wouldn't consider myself the creative force. Matt mm-hmm. Slocum is like the, 
you know, kind of holds the cards as far as, and in my opinion, will have the magic of the band. I think his writing and my voice were mm-hmm. the That's magic it. of the That's band. It. And, and that, um, you know, you can't, you can't schedule on that. And yeah. he's very intelligent. And I think that makes it hard for a creative to go, okay, so I have, you know, I've got a family now. He started a family and it's like, is this going to sustain my family? You know, is this the, is this really what I want to do? Do I want to be away touring? And he asks himself all those questions. And I think generally has come up with, I just don't know if I have it in me, you know, anymore. And then, you know, right before this pandemic started, I don't know if I got into this, but we were, we were writing new songs. You told me that when we first so talked. Exciting. Yes, <laughs> I know. So now I think we're back kind of in a corner again where yeah. it's like, you know, there's just, there's, I mean, it, it's so funny. Yeah, I think I, I'm sure I said to you, my husband and I literally the night before everything got, you know, shut down in Nashville, we were driving home from a restaurant, like a date night. And listen uh-huh. to some of the demos that Sixpence that we had, that Matt and I had been working on, and I was so excited. And then it just literally just sort of everything has has literally halted. And yeah. I've I've written other songs and you know just done projects, all kinds of stuff in the interim. I mean, not a ton, but but I've definitely mm-hmm. worked. Um, but I think you know it's it's a really hard time to try to make plans, especially when you're Matt, like when you're somebody who's already very cerebral and he thinks things through and at a time when you don't know what's going to happen. I I mean, it's, it freezes a lot of people and I totally get that. So we'll either get back to it or we won't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what'll happen. (laughs) I know it's uh, it's interesting. I've been talking with so many people during this time and there's it's uh, uniformly one of two, answers it's either a i'm we're so crippled not knowing what's going on no one feels like they can do much of anything or it's the opposite where it's like i finally have all this time to be as creative as i possibly want i'm going to do whatever tickles my fancy you know and it's one or the other for creative people right now yeah i have to say i'm i'm pretty envious of those people i i um, I really am i i i tell myself that it's um Sorry, I have ice in my mouth. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's so funny. When we um, talked before, you were going through a McDonald's drive-thru getting a Diet Coke. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure it wasn't diet. I may have said Oh, maybe diet, not. I seriously doubt it was diet. But just throughout this time, I've told myself that it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just, it's been some weeks, some months, like it's crippling and I can't you know, can't, you know, find that creative bird to sit on my shoulder. It's like, where, where in the heck is it? And then sometimes it's been the opposite and it's been the thing that's fed, fed the bird on the shoulder. That's like, you know, come on, we gotta, we gotta get through this. So it's been a little bit of both. And I think for me, it's getting, it's getting better. Um, So that's good. It's really good. Good. I don't, I should know this. I don't think I do. What does your husband do? Are you guys able to pay your bills is it scary yeah. right now okay um it, it's it's uh, it's shocking that it's not scary because okay. yeah, years ago it would have been like i don't know what we would have done but he is a songwriter and has a deal with bmg so he 
write songs for a living and he's also an artist but obviously that you know that doesn't matter yeah. right now because we're not able to play shows but he right. does draw a salary for his uh, okay. writing I thought and, so. Um, so he writes every single day uh just via zoom um but but you know like we have this amazing porch and he's um you know like things are slowly starting to kind of get back to normal he's he's writing in person on a you know, in our screen porch today with two guys, yeah. like, like distanced. And so I feel like things are getting a little bit more relaxed. Um, but obviously we're still being very careful yeah. as well, but yeah. I'm playing at a wedding, uh, this weekend and it'll be my first time behind a microphone. Other than singing. I've sung at church a few times, but, sure. um, but uh, yeah, this it's not like a super spreader wedding, <laughs> it's like a pretty, <laughs> pretty small wedding. Right. But yeah, that that'll be the first like traveling good. show I've done in a long time. Good, good. We need yeah. more of Lee Nash's voice out there. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, speaking of which, okay, so let's talk about the Get Happy EP. It came out just before all of this stuff really started to hit, <laughs> right. and uh, it's so good. It's so good. And I so I have a number of questions for you from some listeners. One of them, and I had the same question. Do you anticipate more EPs like this, whether solo or with Sixpence coming down the pike, uh, along I, the you know along this line, or is that a one and done thing? Do you think? No, I do. I do. I I want to just you know I'm in a lane. I'm in the Lee Nash lane. I'm going to stay in it, and I think uh -huh. that includes just like more and more um, projects, whether it be EPs. I miss the full length album. It's it's right. becoming something that is is uh getting more of a becoming more of a rarity unfortunately but yeah i i i would li like to fight to to put out you know another full-length record but whatever i can get you know eps are great singles yeah. are great just but i definitely intend to continue to put out music um Good. just will yeah. it, you know like like a crazy person like the jerky <laughs> boys would say i'm gonna get all crazy with it <laughs> okay wait. good good okay so my favorite song in the ep is something worth leaving behind this old guitar is not gonna die i don't have to plug it in just to keep it alive like my daddy's voice there's a warmth you can feel with a Prayer in the woods, strength in the steel. But I keep my eyes on what is eternal. It's a song that won't fade away. Still I ask myself, what is eternal? Anyway, oh, anyway. I'm desperate for a life that has meaning I'm trying to write a line that's worth repeating That'll make you think of me when my heart's done beating That you'll pass down the line That'll stand the test of time Something worth leaving behind 
it yes and it it marriages well it brings to light the things that i think make you and your band so special which is this beautiful these beautiful melodies with your ethereal voice and you've heard this i'm sure a billion times the the messages are never overtly christian they're just uplifting and spiritual you know what i mean and i felt like this song is a real it perfectly encapsulates all those things. And I wanted to know where it came from for you. Because when you say, when you sing things in, uh, in that song, like, you know, keeping your eyes on what's eternal. And I think, yes, that's yeah. such good advice, especially for times like now, which are so messy and crazy. You know, I it's know. so hard to do. But if Lee right. Nash is going to sing to me in this voice sounding so pretty, I, I think I can do it. You know, tell me about right. the creation of this song. Well, um, my my mom and who I'm with right now, she's I'm just she's shopping and I'm and I'm in the parking lot just sort of follow, <laughs> following her from from shop to shop as she walks. <laughs> but she my my whole life just because of all the the strife that the music industry brings. You know, I've had so many conversations where I call her crying like, "Mommy." What am yeah. I going to do? I'm, you know, panicked. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent this month or whatever it is. And, and, or, you know, or I'm not sure, like, should I go get a job? I mean, I could probably be a greeter at Walmart. Like, I don't know what I'm qualified <laughs> to do because right. I've been on the road as, as a vocalist in a band since I was 15 years old. So yeah. it's very overwhelming for someone of my, also just my personality type, not even yeah. just the fact that that's what I've been doing my whole life. But she has consistently told me, keep your eyes on what is eternal and nothing else, nothing else matters, you know? And she also says constantly say your prayers and do the next yeah. thing, yeah. whether it's the laundry or the dishes or playing a show or, or whatever it is. And so that's really good advice as well. And I lost my father. Um, he passed away about, uh, he died in 2007. It's been a while. He, I got his guitar, and so I picked it up and was playing it that morning and and just thought, like, that's one of the only things these days that you don't have to plug in to, like, and, and it's so frustrating, you know, these phones and these computers that we're so tied to, you you know, we've got to have electricity. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, to, to keep, to literally keep them alive, which I think yeah. makes them, you got to, you got to you know, if you think about that, like that's a pretty shallow object. I know it helps us with connectivity, but when I picked up that guitar, I thought this, I don't have to plug this in. It's, mm -hmm. it's very much alive and it can make music and it can feed people as far as like what, and, you know, can inspiration can flow through it. Um, you know, you can, so that's how it started with, you know, I don't have to plug it in to keep it alive. And, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's where it started. So, so I love that song because it came from my mom and my dad. <laughs> that's great. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I, I was watching a clip on YouTube of you explaining where God gave me horses came from. He said, I've been locked up 14 months. I'm Finally 
also a beautiful song and it does a similar thing like i said it touches on the spiritual nature of life without being preachy about it and uh tell me the story about that because that's also a gorgeous tune thank you so much i'm really i have high hopes for this song good i'll keep the hopes to myself for now just so (laughs) i won't jinx it but um but yeah i'm uh I'm I'm really I really love this song and and I really want I I, I really just want as many people to hear it as possible yes. because of how special the story is. But I I was um at this agricultural center where the where the uh, Nashville Mounted Police train the horses and keep their horses and my best friend lives close by and she goes and sees them every single day. It's like part of it's like therapy to her and so. She drug me down there um, one morning with her dog, and we were just standing outside the corral where the horses are, were corralled. And mm-hmm. um, this man came out of the barn, and um, you know I didn't pay much attention. It was winter, so he had a coat on, so I didn't notice he was wearing like you know like a uniform like that you would wear if you were in jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he started telling us, and very quickly, you know, he was like, "Yeah, no, I'm an inmate, and I'm here." working you know um they let me come and work with the horses and basically he told me the story of that song i mean but before we got to her car to leave i thought the state gave me 18 months but god gave me horses mm-hmm. and yes that came straight from That's i mean great. i give give all the credit to god for that one totally. <laughs> and then that man Dwayne, um his vulnerability and talking about you know his situation was was wonderful as well so um yeah yeah yeah. it's great um when you were saying high hopes i was i recently uh started watching yellowstone that show yellowstone it's it's only my favorite show so go ahead (laughs) on the encyclopedia you've you've reached the yellowstone hotline <laughs> oh, it's like great. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't tell me too much because I, we don't have whatever channel it comes on in uh, real time. So, right, 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 right. So okay. I haven't seen the third season. I've just seen the first oh. two. And um, when you were saying high hopes, I thought this need, that song needs to be played in the background of a really nice, uh, not that there are too many nice scenes in Yellowstone, but right. somewhere. They got to slice it in there somewhere. It belongs, no, you know? I to- totally agree. You know what? My husband has some songs that, that they're trying to get placed into um, Yellowstone. I feel like it's they, they use a lot of male voices in there, and I know Ryan Bingham's got his butt like placed squarely in the. Well, <laughs> have you seen? Have you? Have I, did I just mess that up? Has he entered no. the plot yet? No, he hasn't. Oh. Oh, he's in the show. Oh my, I should. Okay, okay. so Ryan, no, that's okay. That doesn't spoil he's, too much. He's so an if actor Ryan Bingham in comes in in the th- really. Yes. And okay. I wrote him, I wrote him, I've written him twice. So now I have to stop like stalking him, but my maiden name is Bingham. So I'm pretty sure we're That's related. Right. And I just need him to know that. That's all. I'm not trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to stalk him. I just wanted to know that I'm probably very much related to him. Cause we're, <laughs> I looked into his ancestry and everything and we're definitely, I mean, we gotta be you're back there somewhere or something but anyway um he appears to not give a rat's behind about uh-huh. that but 
his music uh, is in there a lot just because he's in the show and he's so good in it. Oh my gosh. Oh. Um, it's only my favorite show, but yes, we're all okay. over that. Um, okay. Trying, trying to get our music into Yellowstone. <laughs> That's the best. That's the best. Yes, and, I hope it happens. Um, it belongs. The uh, Jada Dreyer and Park Chisholm, who I wrote something worth leaving behind with, they have done a ton of the music for Yellowstone. Oh, that, so. well then, yeah. come on. Kind of this is sense. a no-brainer. Yes. I know. I know. Oh my gosh. Okay, good. world. Yes. Well, and you know, as I, I hadn't thought of this until just now us talking about this, TV has been good to you this whole time, you know, right. uh, whether it's Dawson's Creek or Smallville or whatever placement right. in these kinds of things has treated Lee and Sixpence really well over the years. Yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they like, they like my voice for some reason or well, something. A lot of us so do. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes Thank sense. You. Okay. So on the album, on the EP, there's it, Get Happy. There's the cover of Get Happy. Pack up your troubles and just get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Sing hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. The sun is shining, come on and get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. Sing hallelujah, come on and get happy. We're gonna be going to the promised land. We're heading across the river, gonna wash our sins in the tide. It's all so peaceful on the other side. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Hallelujah, come on and get happy Get ready for the judgment day had other successes with covers as well what what goes into the philosophy or the thinking behind what you're going to cover how you're going to cover it is it a thing do you go just go after songs you like you go after songs that are recommended to you because of your voice is it someone else's decision who comes up with this no i mean i i could have made probably a wiser choice in in a cover but i was so moved by renee zellweger's performance in judy mm. right did you watch that movie i did yeah and she won the oscar for um, it yeah she was absolutely stunning and I, and there was so much about uh, judy garland's life that i didn't know about and so i was like also stunned by that and i just i was moved by the song i was moved by her performance of it in the movie and, and it just also just kind of had there's like a darkness to it or i wanted to i wanted to infuse a darkness to it and i also am obsessed with that piano player played on it with me on on the ep his name is phil 
Chandler, I think his Instagram name is something different than what his actual <laughs> name is. This is it's his own fault, but he's an incredible piano player, and so I just I want to use him for any anything and everything yeah. I can. So um, anyway, yeah, I just I chose it because I had just seen that movie and um, just thought I just wanted to pay homage to Judy Garland and and a tip of the hat to Renee Zellweger as well. She did such an amazing job. She did. Yeah. yeah so so then up. going back to um you know like there she goes who like who thought of that Matt Slocum's idea because um, he was already a fan of the laws so that was not a business decision that was like a you know before we went on tour with the waiting <laughs> which was a Christian band that we oh. toured with back then uh, before this particular tour he was like hey y'all learn um, there she goes and I was like oh man I love that song I mean, who doesn't uh -huh. love that song if you heard it right. and what was funny is it wasn't that big of a hit in the states but when people started hearing it, it was like instantly recognizable and you'd hear people do the do the claps that go in, in it. And yeah. it was like, dang, these people remember this song. Yes. And um, not that it was so many years after it, it had been, you know, released. I think it was released in 1990 or 91. Something like that. Um, 90, 91. By, by the laws. So, yeah, that just came about because we were we were fans. Okay. Okay. So okay, let's we've we've now entered the kiss me section of of the interview here, and I know that you probably have to do that a lot, but we'll I'll keep it shorter, I promise, because there's plenty oh, of other it's things. Okay. It's um so when you go back and you listen to those early albums, especially the self-titled one with that song on it, it's a little bit of an outlier. It's a very obvious hit single on an album. It stands out, you know. To me, anyway, right. it, was, it wasn't exactly like other things you guys had been doing up to that point. And I wondered um, when the when Matt brings this song to the band or you start fleshing out in rehearsal or in the studio or whatever, it, are light bulbs going off with everyone like this is different, guys. This is this could be the thing that sort of puts us over or is it just one more song? 
No, definitely not. It was, I mean, yes, it felt really cool doing the song. We loved it, but it did not feel like, oh yeah, this is the sound. Like, cause we, yeah. we were very much considered ourselves a, like a rock alternative or pop alternative band or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know Matt was, Matt was very anti, like he didn't want to ha- have to say what we were like, like, uh. like he didn't like labels, like, you know, to, you know, what kind of music do you make? And he would yeah. get really, really sulky about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, no, he, uh, he wrote Kiss Me in like 10 minutes in Holland, uh, in his little motel room. And he called me and asked me to come down. He was like, Hey, I thought if you, you might want to just let's learn this song real quick and we'll play it tonight at this festival that we were playing at. And we played it uh, for the first time at like, you know, like a tent at this big festival called Flavo Fest. That was the first time we ever played it. And yeah, definitely it had a really, I, I always loved playing any brand new song Matt brought to the table. Yeah. I was like, you know, like, oh, this is the best thing ever. So I was, I was super excited, but but no, that song wasn't even supposed to be on the record. Matt didn't. Matt didn't want it on the record. I think Steve Taylor was the one that really? was like, "No, you're you're putting this on the record." Yes. And so, yes. so, so we did. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to know, and we may have talked about this the first time. Did you had you Jim when you made the video? Did you have any idea what you were doing? I well, yes, but only because Steve Taylor was like, "This is what we're doing." So. We we watched it so that we understood what we were doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'm, yeah. I'm so glad we did. What a but it's such a fun thing to show my son now. I mean he's yeah, I so like confused by like how how is this the same person that you are? <laughs> I He's done all this cool I think he thinks it's cool. I don't know. We should, anyway. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. I hadn't seen Jules and Jim when I saw that video and I was so confused. Like this is Oh really? This is mean. Like this Why is the is video for this. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the and the bike so rides and the hat and the like. What is uh, this saying? I was so confused. And then you see the movie and it's a masterpiece, and you realize, right. oh, now I understand what this is all about. So great. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, I gotta we we touch on the business side of things, you know, sensitively on here. Matt obviously mm-hmm. wrote that song, and that right. song is used all over the place all the time. He right. uh, probably makes really good mailbox money from that tune but do yeah. you get anything like a performance royalty okay yes absolutely yeah 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 we it's okay. it's fair what we've what in my opinion what we have agreed upon is fair so yeah i'm not okay. i'm not out in the cold <laughs> good good yeah well because no. that's the kind of i mean you know this that's the that's ex- i've talked to so many people and it's that that exact thing is what drives a wedge in ba- bands all over the place right the guy no, who makes no. all the money and everyone's like, Hey, I sang that or I played on it, you know, or I helped sure. you. I was there when you did it, you know? Right. And the one guy yeah. makes all the money. So, well, I mean, yeah, he did. And he wrote that song fair and square. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, and he's, he's brilliant and he should be 100% compensated for, for that. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, he's been fair to me and yeah, that we've been, We've done our best. We are we are opposites, but I um when we went and had lunch together before the pandemic and decided to, you know, maybe start, you know, 
writing music again. I mean, it was just nothing, nothing but love, you know, it's, it's, it's not contentious. He's just, he's a very private, cerebral dude and yeah. I'm very yeah. bubbly and open and, you know, we're just complete opposite. And and I think that's a great thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I, I yeah. love him and I assume he has affection for me as well. Yeah. 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 Um, you've probably been asked this a million times. Did you guys ever go out? Oh my God. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, cause I, I think you guys just... met at a church dance or something and no, I went to millions we... of those things growing up and you no. were always looking for someone to hook up with, you know? No, no. We went to the same church just for a summer, but he's, he's five years older than me. So at the uh, time okay. it would have been really weird and later yeah. it would have been fine, but we were already way past that. I got married when I was 19. So oh, I was oh, off boy. the market pretty yeah. quick so um <laughs> so, right. no we never we never uh we never dated okay okay uh just curious okay i gotta throw in some of the questions that came in one of our listeners is named david gutierrez and he's a gigantic fan of yours uh okay. first and foremost he says tell her go uh nb unicorns so <laughs> that's the okay. football team in new Braunfels, i'm guessing that's right? right that's my yeah. all, right alma mater yes yeah Okay, so he's got some deeply nerdy questions here for you that I'm going to ask. Okay. One of them is that you did a duet with Mark Martell, a cover of The Cranberries. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, is that ever going to be released? Oh, my life is changing every day in every possible way. My dreams, it's never quite as it seems, never quite as it seems. I know I felt like this before, but now I'm feeling it even more, because it came from you. We got together to write that day, but Dolores O'Rourdon had just passed away. And so uh -huh. we wanted, and so we ended up doing that cover instead, just super on the fly off, like it, it wasn't even planned. And, but since we used all his equipment and everything, uh, it just ended up, I don't know, it was, it's hit, he owns it. So okay. he just put it up on you. It's on YouTube, right? I think that's where I believe it is, so. I don't know. So it's up to him. Yeah, I, okay. I don't have any control over that. But I love that cover. And I love, obviously, his voice is so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, one more nerdy Texas question. Why okay. wasn't Sixpence correctly considered part of the late 90s Texas music scene like Spoon and Fastball? Oh, I know. I don't know. You know, 
sixpence for some reason was never really embraced as a Texas band or a Nashville band. We, I, I don't know if people, a lot of people always assume that we were from England because of the name yeah, and okay. maybe somewhat because of our sound, but I'm not really sure what the reason is, but I've always been mad about it. I've never gotten <laughs> over it. And I made that record, the state I'm in, you know, just trying yeah. to be like, hey guys, I'm from Texas. I love it. This is my, this is my vibe. Waco late last night I saw two figures in the light Driving in from San Antonio It was you there dancing With some old hate of hair and bone I thought you were Texas and they can't take that away from me. Yeah. I'm like yeah. six generations deep in there. Good. Okay. You belong. Yeah. You're part of the soil. Um, oh. I love that album, by the way. And it reminded yeah. me, I was going to ask you because it's so clear. And I think I've even read this in a couple of places that um, you were so heavily influenced when you were starting out by a lot of female country singers and uh, probably the Patsy Klein's and the Tanya Tucker's and stuff like that of the totally. world. And um, I was curious why you didn't become a country singer. I mean, the state I'm in is very much a an ode or an you know paying honor to that sound right. and everything. But you could have just as easily gone down that road, you know. Well, yeah, I think God, you know, if I can, yeah, interject. Please talk God, God all you it. want. That was sort of like a like a you know you make plans and God laughs kind of thing because yeah. my plan was a hundred percent to be like follow in Tanya Tucker's uh, footsteps. But then Leanne Rimes did that. Like she, like she's from Texas and, and then she started doing that gorgeous, you know, like Patsy Cline thing. And I was like, man, but yeah. by that time I was already in Sixpence. So Matt kind of got in the way of my country music plans, but I think that, I think it worked out way better. Yeah, <laughs> probably did. Have. And, and there was Kelly Willis, who was doing and still is amazing. Um, she's like Texas 
you know, the stuff of, of legends there now. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, I would have been motivated enough to, to make it as a country singer on my own. I, I needed a band and, okay. and it worked out the way it was supposed to. And I got to make, I got to make the country record I always wanted to make. So Good. that was great. Yeah. yeah. I love that record. I love it too. Thank you. Okay. Now let's talk then about the sort of faith aspect of all of this. You were talking, it was interesting when you were saying how much Matt hates labels. And uh, I was thinking, well, then does he, um, does he bristle when Sixpence is considered kind of a Christian rock thing? Or is that okay? Or because like I was kind of touching on earlier, I mean, I feel like being too overt, unfortunately in this day and age, being too overt with faith or God talk or whatever can alienate certain people. And um, right. they don't, they just don't listen or don't want to listen because they think they've s summarized who you really are. And right. that had to have been a, a tightrope, a fine line to walk when you're wanting pop success, but you're also trying to stand for something at the same time. Was it difficult to straddle both lines back then? Yes, definitely. It was awful. It was awful because I had to do all the interviews and, and if he, if I had, if someone specifically you know, it was like, no, definitely it has to be Matt and Lee. I knew it was going to be brutal because I'd have to sit there and know that he was like fuming at being asked, you know, are you guys a Christian band or are you Christians in a band? And, and right. then I knew I had to like, you know, answer the question and he was going to be annoyed no matter what I said, just because yeah. he was, you know, yeah, he did. He bristled. And I, and I did too. I wasn't any happier about it. I just was yeah. able to, you know, just kind of navigate, you know, you just answer the question and it's over quicker. Right. Right. <laughs> so True. I just said, no, we just, you know, we don't like to label ourselves and it's not because we're not believers, but it's just because we just don't really feel like in our case, it's necessary. That's not yeah. what we're trying to do. I'm not Rebecca St. James. We don't, we don't give altar calls, you know, I don't yeah. feel like preaching and yeah. that kind of thing, you know, so, um, you know, that's that. Yeah, he, so he definitely, he bristled a lot. I bet. He probably felt confined <laughs> by that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then are the labels being applied to you when, or are you as a band ever actively pursuing a Christian rock audience? Or is it that, you know, a marketer somewhere is like, you know what, there are, I'm noticing spiritual themes in this band and they come from the church in the South. That's a good angle to like market them to those people. Is that what's happening or are you courting them? Do you know what I mean? Like who, who's no. pulling, yeah. who's pushing on this? I don't know. I really think that we, it was a time when alternative Christian music was getting a bit of a lift by the promoters of the country okay. like certain churches and certain promoters were you know having bands come there was a big scene in Bartlesville Oklahoma um, oh, yeah. a lot quite a few in Dallas Texas um, San Antonio Texas all over the like up in California you, you had that label five minute walk Frank Tate had this label with uh, bands that were kind of doing what we were, not exactly, but, you know, just a buffet of alternative Christian rock. And also, I mean, you know, Cornerstone, that festival uh -huh. in, um, up in Illinois was a major hub for um, 
that kind of music. So I, I kind of think the scene was feeding itself and yeah. we just fit, we happened to fit in and we were definitely not trying to feed ourselves to that mm. community because we did yeah. not want to be labeled. We really didn't want to have anything to do with Christian music, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. That probably sounds terrible, but it's true. No, we, I get it. We, we felt like it all sounded the same and, you know, um, you know, which was not, and then it, and that's why we loved those California bands like Starflyer 59. And like I said, all the stuff, Frank, we love Frank Tate and all the, the um, stuff he was putting out. And who was that other huge label out there that Starflyer was on? Oh, I can't think of it, but there was just, there was a huge scene that was really cool, you know, and that weren't, they weren't cookie cutter and, and, you know, we love the, oh, Brandon Ebel. Yeah. What was his called? Uh, I don't know what he's doing now. I can't imagine, but, um, but uh, yeah, there that the industry, the industry was kind of feeding itself. We, yeah, we, we were just, we felt kind of rogue. I, I, yeah. That's the way I look at it. And, you know, we got invited to play and we went and played and then we kept getting invited back mm -hmm. and it just started to kind of snowball. Yeah. It's inter it's funny I you say that my college roommate at the time when you guys were big was from Bartlesville and he had oh, yeah. yeah he had your CD and so we um we used I what a weird connection now he was from Bartlesville and we used to listen to your CD a lot while we were studying and stuff in our room oh, anyway that's great funny. that's cool um I okay so obviously you guys are trying to kind of transcend any faith-based or Christian rock label that is being applied to you. But one of the beauties of you and what you sing and what you guys put out there is that there's a lot of wisdom to be had, whether it's spiritual or not. And I do think, I am curious where you feel like faith or whatever fits in our world today with everything that is going on, as I was kind of touching on earlier when we were talking about something worth leaving behind, how are you getting strength are you getting strength from your faith or from anything like that at a time like now? Well, it feels like more of the same for me. It feels like I want to just keep doing, I mean, not like, oh, I've always had the right idea, but, but yeah. what I've always, what I've always thought and what I've always tried to give advice to other people is just be authentic. And mm. because, you know, especially if you consider yourself, to be trying to serve God or, or, you know, encourage people, you know, uh, I think there's this great Richard Rohr quote about nowhere in the Bible or in any, you know, biblical text does God sort of give any, um, you know, doesn't celebrate um, uniformity. It's like, mm -hmm. he's not looking for us all to be the same. That's not why we're all like look around like mm -hmm. we're all different for a reason so mm -hmm. and and he's the creator and and the the word creator creation creativity all that comes out of that and he, you know he's yeah. the inventor of it so it's like right. get out there and just and do be creative and and then just let let it spill out of you and and yeah. that's that yeah. <laughs> i don't know any yeah. better way to say it um um, so I'm, I'm more excited and, and encouraged than ever. I'm, I'm worried about my fellow musicians that are, yeah. that are, uh, maybe losing, losing steam and losing, you know, homes and yeah. way worse, um, losing their lives. But I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged just that, 
that you know once this is once this passes hopefully there's a new focus on what is important and what matters and and yeah. you know and leaving something behind that's like worth that's worth something you yeah. know to somebody down the line yeah i do um you know it's interesting you saying this and I'm, I'm, it's been hitting me lately how <laughs> musicians and or creative types are almost always the ones who get screwed the most when this kind right. of stuff, whatever this kind of stuff is, if pandemics happen all the time, but it just seems like, I mean, you guys are the ones getting screwed by Spotify or by the music industry, right. even though you're the, you're the lifeblood of it. You're the ones right. who the pandemic, I mean, like I can go back to work, you know, some people can still find a job. It's right. difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but if yeah. you're a touring musician who I know a lot of now from the podcast, there's, they, there's nothing they can do unless they want to go. stop. Yeah. yeah, unless yeah. their entire career is on hold. And yeah. because and yet all the happiness and just meaning that arts bring to our life on a daily basis and yet the people creating those things are the ones often most screwed over by everything. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not yeah. fair. No, it's not, but there but there are fighters, there's people um, I can think of just one guy's name right name is right now his name is Steve Bogard uh, here in town um, and there's there's many more but they fought really hard to, to push the music modernization act forward and through last year and that will help songwriters and uh, musicians you know for you know for ages to come and so we just need more more of that we need fighters we need people you know fighting so that so that that doesn't happen and we've had you know, there's a, a great, um, well, I don't know what you call it. It's called Music Cares um, here yeah. in Nashville that have helped, is, I mean, helped a ton. And I think the Grammy Association immediately, I think, released like $2 million, was, was able to like, you know, divvy that up uh, to artists. All, all you had to do was like fill out an application and you got a little relief from from that was a huge fund that went out to some to some artists but obviously not you know not all um and so uh, you know there's a lot of companies that are doing really well be because of this pandemic like amazon and liquor companies sure. and i would yeah. really love yeah. i would really love to see them um you know i know and i'm sure they're helping in tons of ways but um but yeah like a lot of these people that are getting really, really rich need to put it back into yeah. music, musicians. And I mean, in Nashville, I mean, Music City <laughs> has got yeah. to stay Music City. I don't want it to lose its luster. And we're fighting yeah. really hard. We've got a lot of a lot of people, um, you know, in the trenches right now that are that are working really hard to save our stages and the national something venue association uh, oh nice trying to save our venues it's called neva n-i-v-a um and you can go to saveourstages.com and there's a donate button um Excellent. that is, is helping to um keep venues alive because i think 60 as of last week have closed permanently nationwide oh oh, and wow. yeah it's brutal yeah, yeah if we, it's gonna without, just keep going venues. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. It's gonna keep going. Okay, let's talk about some fun stuff for a second. Number okay. one, I want to know what the what the coolest part of having success is or was when your life takes off and changes in an instant in 1999 with Kiss Me and everything since. 
what is the part if it were all to go away which we've just sort of talked about that it almost has what is just the part you miss what's the best part of it all meeting a hero singing with somebody the food the wine the money the travel what is it what's your favorite part yeah i think it's the i would say the travel and that's the part now that i i miss the most is like every couple of years either myself or the band will get invited somewhere over in the like in japan or jakarta or the philippines and i absolutely love those places like so they're like home i get homesick for japan on a regular basis i miss tokyo like i miss austin and i miss the people in the philippines i miss you know i have friends there and um So it breaks my heart to think I might not ever go again. I don't believe that that will happen, but it that would break my heart. So yeah, absolutely. The travel, that is the the greatest privilege that other than being a mother that I've ever had is being able to travel because it just, it makes you understand how small you are and it humbles you, but it gives you, you know, and that gives you great power. Like humility yeah. gives you a lot of like, strength um i think so yeah i'm i have gotten a lot of brevity from that good good um and then um i can't remember if i read it somewhere or just assumed i mentioned i sort of name dropped the sundays and crowded house and stuff earlier are those bands that meant something to you oh absolutely crowded house are my favorite band of all time and so i wanted to kind of me too yeah. Okay, I want to kind I, of commiserate on our mutual Neil Finn love. What What is yeah. it about that? How do you love it? Why do you love it? I think, I mean, listening, I, I've listened um, a lot, actually, over the last seven months or so. Um, yeah. My brother-in-law both share a, a love of um, of Crowded House. And, yeah, j- just the songwriting is just yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah. My husband and I did a cover. We, we did some weird stuff on Instagram. Um, we called ourselves hot mess and did a few covers i don't know like maybe six or so and and crowded house was one of them we did um uh four seasons in one day because yeah there you go that's what that's what this has felt like um yeah it kept coming coming to my mind and so that you can find that on instagram but yeah just songs like that it's like what what are these i don't know if it's the chord changes the lyrics or both or their voices and it's just it's just utter creativity it's pure it's it's pure and it's beautiful and yeah yeah, they just really have had have whatever something magical yeah Yeah. do you have a favorite credit house song or neil finn or whatever um i think it's four seasons in one day really that's your favorite one yeah okay yeah yeah i uh i go back and forth on that a lot i think when you come might be my favorite yeah. And or yeah, I like um, I think they call it Carrie Carrie, which is the first yeah. track on Together Alone. Anyway, I love that, too. Oh, yeah. Big Neil fan. OK, last question. Uh, tell me about how you came to do uh, Need to Be Next to You for the Bounce soundtrack. Been running from these feelings for so long.
because that was sort of the first time people were seeing you outside of Sixpence, you know, in a know. on a grand stage. And it's like, yeah. what's happening? First of all, that song is great. But like, you know, is, were you considering a solo career at that time? Were you pushed to do that? Was, was it okay with the band? What? Tell me about it. I was not at all pursuing a solo career, but, and I was petrified that Matt would think that's what I was doing. But when in actuality, I just was a huge Diane Warren fan and yeah. felt the, the gravity, like, or the weight, like, like, holy crap, they're asking me to sing. That's not many singers get to do that. Like she's asking yeah. me to sing this song and, or Harvey Weinstein. And so I, of course, I want to, oh, yeah, I would, I, I jumped at the opportunity to do it, but I was terrified that it was going to tear the band apart, which it's, you know, it shouldn't have. And it didn't, it didn't, it caused maybe a little bit of tension. And I, you know, I was, I was afraid, like I said, I was really afraid that Matt would be like, Oh, this is what she wants. She doesn't want to to do this anymore. And, um, but no, I just wanted it to be a one-off. Like some, like, can I just, it seems seems simple enough that I should have been able to do that, but it did. It caused a little tension, but I wish I had been a little more like loud and proud about it. Um, uh, and I wasn't, I was like, kind of like quiet, like quiet about it. Like I need, I needed to be ashamed or something. So that's my, that's a pretty big regret, but, but I, but I did it and the movie kind of, you know, flopped anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, but it was cool. I got to work with Diane Warren. I, yeah. I love her. And um, that was fun Good. and very flattering. Yeah. Would you, is that a song that ever gets played in Sixpence con- at Sixpence concerts or is it sort of, you know, um, no, it's, we don't go near that song. That's not one of our. No, definitely not at Sixpence. I don't okay. think Sixpence ever did it. We might have, but at, when I was at, in the Philippines a year ago right now, uh, just doing solo stuff and, and they, they presented me with a set list. They wanted me and that they wanted me to play. And that was definitely on it. And okay. that was, they know, they know every single word. Oh my gosh. So that's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, last question. You know, I was watching the video to get ready to talk to you and, it's slightly sexy. It's Which, still very tame con- comparatively to you're not Madonna right. or anything. Right. But it's a little sexy for Lee Nash. You're laying on the yeah. floor and and uh, I just wondered what it was like for you filming that. It doesn't it seem to go great. with your brand, you know? No, right. No, not I really, that you're not sexy. Really you know what I mean? You don't play that right. card. That's what I mean. Right. No, not I don't. I, I haven't really um, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, um, boy. It's, it's coming. coming. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah. Uh, Rebecca St. No, Rebecca St. Nicholas, I think was her name. She's a great director. I think she directed that video. Oh, I'm okay. pretty sure. Um, and uh, and yeah, she just had a whole other vibe. You know, it was Miramax was paying for it. You know, it's just um, they wanted a certain like look. And, and I, you know, and I got to be the pretty I got to kind of try to play that card a little bit and it was nice, you know? And, um, yeah, it was fun. And my husband at the time got to be in the video with me. I'm not sure he wanted to be, but he did a great job and it was a cool thing that we got to do that together. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was cool. All right. I was just curious. Well, Lee, uh, thank you for talking with me and, uh, I just think you're special and I love that. I love everything you've put out in the world. I feel like it makes the world a better place. 
All right, there you have it, Lee Nash. Love her. I, I don't know how you couldn't. She sounds great. She is great. And I thought that was such a great conversation to put out this week especially. Now, back in 2015, she put out this beautiful little EP called Wishing for This, which is Christmas songs. And so I wanted to play her version of Hard Candy Christmas because this is one of my favorite Christmas songs ever. And I always think of the Dolly Parton version, but Lee's is just as great. I, oh, she can sing. What a blessing she is to all of us. Now, next week is our last episode of 2020. This god-awful year is almost over. And we're going to kick it off. We're going to end the year the same way we kicked it off with a very prominent songwriter. We did Charlie Midnight at the beginning of 2020. We're going to kick it off with another prominent songwriter who's going to share his stories with us. So I think you're going to enjoy that and you're going to want to come back next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makiewicz, my right-hand man, for doing this with me. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. Uh, guys, you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Again, a huge thanks to David Gutierrez and to Ben Montgomery. Check out Lee on the Records Revisited podcast because she did a fantastic job, and those guys are great anyway. And last but not least, folks, Merry Christmas. I hope that you are able to have as good, a merry, as merry a Christmas as is absolutely possible at this time because there is so much weirdness going on and uh, everything is in disarray. The world is crazy and upside down, but I hope through it all you're able to have some semblance of a day of a holiday season that matters to you and makes you feel something. We love you. We're so thankful for all of your support. Okay? Have a good one. Baby.